Well, hey, good morning, Harvest. Yeah, we can, we can clap for that. That was a, a powerful challenge and testimony. Uh, let me ask you to do this. If you are a stay-at-home parent, would you please stand up right now? I'd just love to take a moment in this service and pray for you. Don't be shy. Stand on up. There's a lot of us in here. Can we thank um, the, the people in this room with this calling? Uh, stay standing. No, 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 no. You're not off the hook yet. Let me... Uh, pray for you really, really quickly. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I'm just so thankful for everyone standing right now and all of the people represented. And God, I um, just um, would pray that even now and even this week that you would just remind all of us that, that our children, they're yours first. And uh, you've called us to, to steward them and to take care of them and to watch over them. And, and, but they're yours and you love them and you've called them. And God, I'm just so excited for the next generation of believers that are gonna rise up, that are being trained up in our children's ministry right now. But God, I would just echo what Sarah asked, that, that you would just guard uh, the minds um, of the people standing right now, that they wouldn't fall into the trap of the comparison game or, or believe that um, everything is riding on their strength and their shoulders, but that you're with them, that you're present, and in the trials and frustrations and in the slow days and in the hectic days, that you are helping them lead and love um, their children. We just ask for strength and endurance. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, thank you. Um, do me a favor, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Ephesians chapter four. We're gonna be in Ephesians four. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. We have people coming down the aisles right now that would love to get a copy of God's word into your hand. We're gonna be in Ephesians four. And while they're passing out the Bibles, uh, a quick important announcement. If you are um, a man here, if you're from all the way from high school till the grave. Um, tonight at eight o'clock is our vertical men night. And these are some of the most important times of our church calendar year where we gather together, we worship, we're going to get after some very specific things that the Lord has laid on our hearts. These are powerful, special nights. There's no good football on right now. There's no excuses. The Super Bowl's next week. The only thing happening this week is the Pro Bowl. And if you're into the Pro Bowl, you've got other problems that we'll pray for you about. The players aren't even into the Pro Bowl. Come tonight. No excuses. We want to hang out with you. We'd love to see you then. And uh, we're in week three of a series that we've called The Church for Monday. And what we're really trying to press into right now is who has God called us to be, not just when we gather together, but as we leave this place and live the lives that God has called us to live. What does it mean to be the church? And if you remember two weeks ago, if you were here, we talked about this idea that God sees us not just as people or even just as his children, but we're called royal priests that he sees us as a priesthood, a, a chosen people set apart, that we are called to represent God himself everywhere that we are. That when we go to work and when we're at our homes and with our families and friends, that we are called to represent God to this world. That's a high calling. And then last week, you'll remember, we talked about that one of the primary ways that we live out our faith is by submitting to the authorities that God has placed over our lives that we submit to authority joyfully and gladly, not because that person necessarily deserves it or they're a great boss or a great leader, but because we trust that God is good, that he's in control, that he's working all things together for our good and his glory. So we're gonna trust God that he has the people in authority in our lives there for a reason. And so we submit to that. And this morning's so important. And this morning, I'm gonna ask that you kind of lean in with me in a unique way because what we're gonna talk about this morning is really what does it even mean to be the church? Like, what are we doing here? And then what's going on when we leave here? What does it mean to be the church? How many of you have grown up in church and have heard this phrase? You know, the church isn't the building, it's the people inside the building. How many of you heard that? Kind of cheesy, right? 
And it sounds good, and you're like, oh, amen, that sounds amazing. But what does that actually mean? Like, when you get to the practicalities, it gets very vague and very, very fuzzy. And I'm going to try to bring some clarity to that. And I don't want to catch you off guard, so I just want to be really honest up front. Um, There's this saying that says, sometimes the job of the preacher is to comfort the afflicted. And then there's other times where the job of the preacher is to afflict the comfortable. And this morning, it's the latter part of that saying. I'm going to try to challenge you. I'm going to try to make you maybe a little bit uncomfortable. And here's what I'm going to try to do. I'm going to try to change your mind. I believe that a lot of people in this room right now, most likely even you potentially, um, are thinking wrongly about what it means to be the church and what it means to do ministry. And the big idea, it's very, very clear, it's this. We need to change how we think about our role in church and in ministry. We need to think, or we need to change how we think about our role in church and ministry. And if we are thinking wrong about these things, we're never going to be healthy as a church. So there is a lot riding on the line this morning. So let's jump right in Ephesians 4, starting at verse 1. Here's what he says. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Okay, so Ephesians was written by Paul, and the first half of Ephesians, Ephesians 1 through 3, Paul is just talking about how awesome the gospel is and how amazing God's love is. If you ever want to feel good about how much God loves you, read Ephesians chapters 1 through 3. He's like, we were dead in our sins. God has made us alive. He called you. He predestined you. He saved you. He's adopted you as children. He's changed your identity. Our security is forever guaranteed for us in heaven. All of this is freely given to us by God, that God knows you and loves you and has saved you, has redeemed you, that everything about you is different because God made the first move and saved his people. It's good news, amen? Eric, when he planted Harvest Fremont, he did his first teaching series in Ephesians. He's like, we got to get this right. This is so good. And what happens in Ephesians 4, it's now the turn in the letter. Paul's saying, in light of how amazing God's love is, and in light of how awesome the gospel is, what are we called to do? And he says, we're called to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, of the calling to which we have been called. And look what he says in verse 2. He says, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. All right, so here's the first thing. Paul says, of first importance, we are called to one another. He says, we're called to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, and we do that with patience, humility, love, bearing with one another. This is fascinating to me that he starts here. Like, think about it for a second. Um, who thinks that God cares about our marriages? Raise your hand if you think God cares a lot about our marriages. Isn't it interesting that before he talks about our marriages before he talks about how we raise our children, before he talks about prayer, before he talks about reading the Bible, before he talks about sexuality, before he talks about how we spend our time and how we spend our money, before he talks about how we conduct ourselves in business, he says we're called to walk in a way that's worthy of the gospel and it looks by how we interact with one another, that we're called to the family of God. And look at the words he uses, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, and maintaining unity. And these aren't in your notes, but if you're taking notes, you can write these down. I've got two observations about these words. First is that these words imply deep relationship with one another. 
That in order to bear with one another, to be gentle, to have humility and to patience, you have to do life with fellow believers. Like, here's what I mean. If the extent of my relationship with Elias is at, um, you know, 1050 or at, yeah, at, you know, 1059 when we're rushing to get into the service, we're in the lobby and I'm like, hey, Elias, what's up? Isn't the weather terrible? And he's like, yeah, the weather's awful. All right, see you next week. And then the next week I say, Elias, and I'm like, man, the weather's awful. He's like, yep, we live in Michigan. That's kind of how it rolls in January. Like if the only extent of the conversations we have are are these five-second, 10-second small talk conversations as we enter into this place, I'm never going to have the opportunity to be patient or to bear with or to be humble or, or, or to show love in a way that's meaningful. These words imply there's deep relationship, that we spend time with one another, that we do life with one another, that we care for one another. And it also, look at this, it also implies that there's tension and friction. It implies that there's tension and there's friction. These words imply that sometimes it's going to be difficult. Like I think about my son, right? I don't have to be patient with my son when he's obeying and doing what he's supposed to do. I'm called to be patient with my son when he's driving me crazy, when he's running his mouth and he's asked me to play the same game with him 500 times after I've said no 499 times. That's what patience is, right? The bearing one another in love, doesn't that imply that the person's being a bear, right? That it's going to be messy and it's going to be difficult. And listen, this is really important because I'm worried that some of us have bought into the lie that because God is perfect, And because Jesus is perfect, that therefore the church should be perfect as well and I should be treated perfectly by the family of God. And listen, I've had too many conversations with all of you where it's like, you know, I'm nervous about plugging in and serving because, you know, I've been hurt by the church before. Or man, I I love Jesus, but I'm kind of out on the church. They're full of hypocrites. And listen, I'm not trying to downplay or minimize the hurt or pain that you've gone through. And if you're here and you're wounded, we want you to be a place where you can heal. But there's also the reality that when you commit to doing life with imperfect people, there will be times where you're treated imperfectly. Does that make sense? That to do this well means we're signing up to occasionally be hurt. But church, let me remind you, the goal of our life is not to insulate ourselves from pain. The goal of life is not, is to, not to never be hurt. It's to honor the Lord, to walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. And he says, this begins by engaging and loving and being patient with and bearing with one another. And Paul's gonna expand on how this plays out further. Jump down to verse 11. This is, this is so important. This is where it's gonna start to get a little uncomfortable. Here's what he says. He says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers... Look at verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Okay, here's the second thing we see. It's that we are all in full-time ministry. We are all in full-time ministry. Let me show it to you again. Look at verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Here's what that means. 
That means that he's given some people, some people's calling on our lives is to be a pastor or a shepherd or a prophet. And our job is to equip the saints, all of you, to do the work of ministry. That means that you, high schoolers, you're in full-time ministry. You're not just a student. You're not just an athlete. You're in full-time ministry. That means that you are in full-time ministry. It's okay. Someone's just leaving. Don't, don't worry about it. Don't let that be a distraction, hopefully. Um, stay with me here. This is important. You are in full-time ministry. Tim Fulmer, he's in full-time ministry. Elias is in full-time ministry. I don't think you're tracking with me yet. So do this. Can you just turn to your neighbor and say you're in full-time ministry? Okay, so I'm going to expand on this a little further because some of you are laughing, which is frustrating to me. So that means my job is not exactly done yet here. Um, Here's one of my pet peeves. I think I have a pet peeve in the way we talk about ministry. And we think that ministry is just for pastors. And it's just for like missionaries maybe who've gone to Europe or to Asia to, to, to... give their lives to the mission field. And, and what happens is, is I'll meet with someone and they'll come up to me and I have this conversation all the time. In fact, I just had it between services and they'll come up and they'll be like, hey, Cal, I wanna talk with you and, and, and I think God might be calling me to full-time ministry and I want your advice. And I'll be like, you know what? That's amazing. You're totally called to full-time ministry. I can affirm that in you. And you can tell they're like super pumped. It's like, oh, this is amazing. This is exactly the answer I've been looking for. And I'm like, and you know what? everyone's called to full-time ministry. And then they roll their eyes at me and they're like, Cal, why you gotta be that guy, right? Like, you know what I was saying. Uh, And I'm like, no, what you're asking is, is are you called to vocational ministry? To be a pastor, to have that be your job. All of us are called to full-time ministry. I think about Pastor Craig. I've known Craig for a long time and Craig did not begin his full-time ministry experience when he came on staff as the family pastor. He was doing full-time ministry as a teacher at Reith's Puffer long before he ever became a pastor. It wasn't what he did, it was who he was. And so here's how this works. I I wanna make this very, very clear. As a pastor of a church, I'm gonna stand before the Lord one day. This is really gonna happen. And I'm going to give an account of how faithful was I to equip all of you to be faithful to the ministry that God has called you in your homes and in your workplaces and in your families and communities. So I'm gonna stand before God and I'm gonna be asked the question, did you honor the gospel? Were you faithful to my word? Did did you model forgiveness and grace? Did you discipline when you needed to discipline? Were you kind and caring when, when you needed to be? Did you honor me in how you led this church? I'm going to give an account before the Lord in that, and that's a weight that I carry. But listen, you're gonna stand before the Lord And you're going to give an account, were you faithful with the ministry that God placed over your life? I want you to feel that weight a little bit because that conversation is happening too. Okay, so let's just get down to it. Because some of you think, all right, what do you mean I'm in full-time ministry? Like you're saying this, you're putting this weight on me, but I don't know what you're talking about. What is my ministry? Can Can I make it very easy for you? Your ministry is everywhere you are. Your ministry is everywhere you are. You are called to represent God wherever he has placed you. And I just wanna start here. I think some of you get nervous when you hear this, man, I'm called to be in full-time ministry because you're like, does that mean I gotta preach sermons or talk in front of people? Like that makes me terrified. And it's not that. 
Some of you have the gift of evangelism and the gift of teaching, and that might be for you. But what it means to be in ministry is that wherever we are, we represent God and we represent the reality that our hope and trust is firmly placed in God. And we are called to represent his love, his grace, his mercy, and to live out the gospel with everyone we come in contact with. That we are on mission to show how great our God is and that our lives are dedicated to him first. And this starts at home. Men, we, we've told you this before, you're the pastor of your home. That God has given you the responsibility to shepherd your children's hearts. That you need to be engaged with what's going on in their life. You need to be speaking truth over them. You need to be raising them up as young men and women who would just have seen Jesus and seen God's love for them because you showed that to them in how you led the family. That our children should not be confused at all about how much their heavenly father loves them and cares for them and is patient with them and is kind with them because their earthly father modeled that so well for them. And if you think that your responsibility is just shipping them off to youth group for an hour and a half a week and that's going to fix everything and solve everything, you're fooling yourself. It's a great resource. And I love what our youth ministry is doing. But you've been called to be in full-time ministry over your family. You've been called to shepherd your wife's heart and to model God's love and pursuit and forgiveness and kindness and gentleness in how you treat your spouse. I think about the video we just watched with Sarah. She gets, my ministry is to love on these kids and to show them Jesus. And that process is painstaking and it's slow, but I get to model that my hope is in Jesus. So their hope needs to be in Jesus. And I get to rejoice in their victories and I get to love them in their weaknesses. And then when we go to work or school or we're with family, friends, and community, we live as representatives. So what that means very practically, I'm going to talk to you young people. When you're in school, the people you go to school with are like, man, the reason I'm trying to get good grades is I want a good job or I don't want my parents to kill me. But man, when Mia's in school, she's getting good grades because she wants to honor the Lord. And her attitude's great and she helps others and she's just kind and she's gentle and she's living in a way that's different because her motivations are different than mine. That when Sam is doing weird science genetic tests and dealing with bacteria and is working in the lab, that how he interacts with his employees, how he submits to his authority, his attitude and what he says, it should be very, very clear that his motivation in work is to do a great job and to do the best of his abilities because he's honoring the Lord with his work. That our ministry is to represent God wherever we go. And here's what's amazing, when we get this, when we get this, I begin to understand that everything in my life has eternal significance. Well, like, here's the cool thing. When I get that I'm in full-time ministry wherever I go, there's never a moment that needs to be boring. Because even if it's a slow day at the office, I can be thinking to myself, who can I show love to? Who can I encourage? Who can I pray for? And then when I'm going home from work and I've had a long day and I'm exhausted, it's not like, oh man, my day's done. I'm cashing in my chips. It's like, no, God's given me the ministry to engage with my kids and to love my family and to play with them and to hang out with them and to build them up. 
And then when I'm with my friends, it's how can I encourage and how can I support and how can I speak truth into their lives? Everything in our life has eternal significance when we're on mission for God. So here's what I'm going to say. If you're a Christian and you're bored with your life, that's on you. You're doing it wrong. When we get that we're in full-time ministry, every moment in our life begins to take on significant value. Look here. Ministry is not confined to a few people or to what happens in these doors. It's something that all of us have been called to, and we're gonna give an account for our faithfulness to that calling. So here's what I wanna do to help. I wanna show kind of a picture of how this plays out in our lives. And God has established a rhythm for us to do this well. And it's called the rhythm of gathering and going. And in parentheses there, I have breathe in and breathe out. And this is a really helpful picture, so bear with me. Do me a favor, can all of you breathe in with me right now? Breathe in. All right, breathe out. All right, hopefully that's natural for you or else survival becomes difficult. Um, But this is kind of the rhythm that God has set up in our lives that when we gather together as a church, so when we gather together Sunday mornings and we worship the Lord, and what we're doing is, is we're aligning our hearts to God's heart. God, you're on the throne. God, you are the one that's in control. You're the one that deserves the rightful place. And then we sit under God's word and we align our lives to that and we're equipped. And then we care for one another. We pray for one another. We build one another up, pursue relationships. That's us breathing in, getting filled up so that we might breathe out and be faithful to do the ministry that God has given each one of us in our lives the rest of the week. We gather together to get built up, to be encouraged, to be loved, breathe in, to breathe out, to be effective ministers, lights of the gospel, wherever we are. And um, then guess what we do? A few days go by, and then we gather together in small group, and we gotta take another breath, right? We gather together, and we talk about what's going on in each other's lives. We encourage one another. We build one another up. We hold one another, one another accountable. We pour into each other. We breathe in, and then we leave that place, and then we go back and breathe out and are faithful to where God has called us to. And I want to talk about small groups for a moment because I think this is a helpful way to understand the role small groups should maybe play in our lives. Um, every Wednesday morning... At nine o'clock, there's a meeting in my office and it's our MLT staff meeting. So I meet with all of the leaders of the various ministries in our church. Marty's there, he oversees family care and small groups. Taylor's there, he oversees worship and students. Chris is there, he oversees discipleship. Um, Who am I missing? Janelle's there, she oversees children's. She runs our calendar. Jody's there, she oversees all of our HR and finance stuff. Ryan's there. He oversees um, content and men's ministry. My dad's there because he says he needs to be there for some reason. Um, No, I'm just kidding. He's there because of um, just the role that he takes in teaching and preaching and the value that he has. But we all gather together and here's what we do. We talk about, all right, where are things at at our church? What's going on in your ministry? Everyone gives a report. Where do you need help? How can we support you? Is there anything in conflict with one another? Is there anything that we need to change? We all kind of help each other, surround each other. Where do we need to press in, build one another up? And then Marty's released to go lead the small group ministry. And Taylor's released to go lead the student ministry. And Taylor doesn't have to think about the small groups because that's what Marty's been called to be faithful to. So, and I think this is a picture of small group. We gather together and it's like a brother and sister of Christ staff meeting. How are things going in your life? 
Where are you struggling? Where can we pray for you? Where can we help you? Are you being faithful to the ministry that God has called you to? We're gonna build one another up so that we might go out and be faithful to what God has called us all to individually. We breathe in and we breathe out. And what I love about this picture is, is you need both to survive. Like if you only ever breathe out, it's not gonna be long before you get weak and start to suffocate. That we can't do this on our own, that we need to gather together to breathe in, to be built up. That's why the writer in Hebrews 10 says this, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all of the more as you say that, see the day drawing near. See what he's saying? He's saying, listen, some of us are neglecting gathering together but we need it. We need to encourage one another. We need to build one another up and stir up one another to love and good works. And listen, we live in a very individualistic society and culture, and there's this growing movement within Christians where they're like, I don't know if I need to go to church anymore. Like I've got the internet and I can listen to great messages like all the time. I've got podcasts, I can listen to worship music and maybe I can have my relationship with Jesus without coming to a crowded smelly room once a week and giving up two hours of my life. Maybe I can do my own thing. And what this would say is, is listen, you and a journal and the internet is not enough for you to be a successful follower of Christ. We're called to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel and that begins with engaging with the family of Christ, with loving one another, building one another up, right? You can't only breathe out, but here's the other thing too. You can't only breathe in. Like, do me a favor, just try to only breathe in for a couple seconds, never breathing out. Can you try that? It gets uncomfortable really quick, right? Like if you only ever breathe in, guess what happens? You become bloated, puffed up and gassy and that's not pleasant or healthy, is it, right? And listen, this is a danger for you and for our church, that it's easy to come with the mentality that, no, no, it's only the pastors that do ministry. And all I want to do is, is I want to be ministered to, but I only want to ever breathe in, but never have any intention to breathe out. So I'm going to come to church once a week and listen, the music better be the type of music that I like and I better be into it this week. And Cal, you better be funny and you better entertain me and you better make me laugh so I'm not bored. And then my small group, they better care for me and minister to me and make sure I'm doing well. They better love me perfectly, but I have no intention of ever pouring my life out, breathing out and being faithful to represent God where he's called me to be. And listen, I'm just going to talk straight right now. And I can speak for our elders and for our pastors. We have not given our life to this ministry to raise up a bunch of puffed up, bloated Christians. We wanna make disciples. And God has established a rhythm in the life of disciples where we gladly gather together because we need to, to build one another up, to encourage one another because life is hard and can be exhausting. And we're all out then breathing out, serving the Lord, representing Christ, being a light wherever he's called us to be. Look at verse 14. So that we may no longer be children. Isn't that interesting? That he says the result of getting this rhythm right is that we grow in maturity, that we're no longer children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. So Paul's saying that part of when we do this right is we grow in maturity and we don't fall into false teaching or the lies of the culture. So what I thought I'd do right now to help us with this is there's some lies our culture is telling us. 
And if we're not thinking through this well, it's easy to believe our lies these selves. So I looked up an article this week written by a guy named David Brooks. Um, He's a well-known author. He writes for the New York Times. He's not a Christian, but he's like 40 times smarter than I am. And it's a really, really interesting article. It's five lies our culture tells us. And for the sake of time, I only have three I wanna focus on, but this is coming from an unbeliever. And here's what he says about the lies our culture is telling us. Here's the first. The first lie we tend to believe is that I can make myself happy. Is that I can make myself happy. And here's what that means is that our happiness is dependent on us becoming the best version of ourselves. That if I can just lose 15 pounds, if I can get shredded, if I can learn how to meditate a little bit better, if I can read that book that's gonna make me smart and a better conversationalist, if I can get that promotion or make a little bit more, that's gonna be the thing that, that satisfies my life. And he's like, you know it's a lie if you've ever talked to anyone on their deathbed. He says, nobody on their deathbed is like, man, the meaning of life was that one summer I got ripped, right? Like no one ever says that on their deathbed. No one's like, man, that one year I hit all of my sales goal and my life was so fulfilled. No, no, no. When people are on their deathbed, they wanna be surrounded by their family and their spouse and their kids and their friends who they did life with and had enduring relationships with. And he's saying, listen, we don't have the power to make ourselves happy by ourselves. We need enduring, loving relationships. That's where happiness is found. Second lie that our culture tells us that we believe is that life is an individual journey. I call this the Instagram lie. And it's this idea that life is just a race of cool experiences and whoever gets to have the most wins, right? It's this idea that, man, if I can just get more pictures of myself underneath a waterfall in Brazil, man, my life's gonna have meaning. And I gotta travel more and I gotta learn how to surf and I gotta do all of these fun things. And man, I'm missing out because everyone else is doing it and look how happy they all are. And what studies would show is that actually the happiest people are the people that have learned restraint, that have learned to give their lives for a cause that is greater than themselves. And their mindset is, is not just what can I do for me? It's how can I love and serve and bless others? How can I um, be in relationship with others? How can I be a part of a community? It's not just about an individual journey. It's giving your lives to something greater than you. That's where happiness is found. Then here's the third lie um, is I have to find my own truth that there is no baseline set of morality, that it's all on us to figure all of this out ourselves. We gotta figure out the meaning of life. We gotta figure out what's best for me and what's best for me might not be what's best for you and what's best for me might not be best for my spouse or it used to be what's best for my spouse, but she's changed and now I've changed and there's no anchor for us to anchor what life should look like. And I love how he closes his article. Here's what he says. He says, no wonder it's so hard to be a young adult today. No wonder our society is fragmenting. We've taken the lies of hyper-individualism and we've made them the unspoken assumptions that govern how we live. Okay, here's what he's getting at. He's saying, listen, here's the gospel of our culture. Everything's dependent on you. The only way you're gonna be happy is you have to be the best version of yourself. You've gotta determine what meaning in life is and you've gotta navigate the best experiences. You gotta figure out how that works in relation to family and finances, but it's all on you. You've gotta go pave your own way and your happiness is all on you. Now compare that to the gospel that says, no, 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 listen. Um, The meaning in life is already there for you. It's been given to you by your creator who knows you and loves you and is with you and that you've been given the purpose to reflect his goodness wherever you go. 
and you're not alone but you've been given a family of God who's not perfect, but we're gonna love you and care for you and we're gonna walk with you. And when we stumble, and when you stumble, we're gonna help you back up. And when you can't walk, we're gonna carry you and we're committed to doing this together because we love Jesus and he died for us and he's worth it and we love one another. Like, listen, that is such a more beautiful hope than what our culture is offering anyone. This is what it means to be the light of the world. We represent a better way, the way that God intended Look at verse 15. It says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working together properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. He says that when each part is working together properly, the body grows so that it builds itself up in love. So here's what that means. When we get this right, The result is maturity, strength, and love. That's what's at stake. We've got to view this the right way. We've got to understand that when we gather together, we have a responsibility to build one another up and encourage one another. And then when we leave, we have a responsibility to represent God well wherever we are. And if we don't get this right, we're never going to grow in strength and maturity and love. And so listen, this is so important Then, rather than explaining it to you, I thought I'd show it to you. Uh, take a minute, check out this video of a powerful way this is playing itself out in our church over the past few months. Amanda and I met about four years ago now at Community College up in Petoskey. Um, and then we kind of, we separated from there and I ended up going to Northern up in Marquette and then she came down here to Grand Rapids. She's going to Grand Valley. Um, and that's kind of where she was introduced to Harvest for the first time. So that's you know three and a half years ago now. Um, and so from that, I was coming down from Marquette and I'd come and visit. Um, and then, you know, that's kind of how I got introduced to Harvest. So we realized that, you know, I think God needs to be the center of our relationships and we're getting married in June and... Um, we came to the conclusion that both of our parents aren't um, both divorced and we decided that this is the route we want to go and we need to have God at the center of our lives. I said, okay, we'll, we'll start going to church more. And she said, well, there's also, there's small groups there. And I said, you know, I was a little nervous, <laughs> I was like, but I was like, yeah, we can do that. I'm committed to this and let's sign up for a small group. So coming to small group, my expectations, <laughs> I was nervous, um, I was shaking. I'm not normally a quiet person, but that entire car ride, I was silent going into it. And I was thinking that, you know, everybody knew more than I did and, and everybody knew the Bible. And I was like, I know nothing. And I was like, I don't know where everybody else is at. I'm scared. I don't know what to expect. And I think Aaron was in the same boat as far as expectations. And when we got there, it was such a relief. We were embraced with so much love. It was absolutely incredible. And I think within the first one or two sessions, they were talking about their sins and I was blown away by that. I could not believe that anybody would ever talk about that kind of stuff because that never happened. You know, I didn't grow up in a church home. You know, we didn't have that kind of aspect of been to church, but again, it wasn't consistent ever. And so having that be talked about was a relief. It was such a relief to have that. I kind of grew up in a, 
like growing up in a Catholic home too, it's like everything in my family, if there was sin, like it's swept under the rug and you don't talk about it. And so I've never had a place to talk about what was going on in my life. It was really dove in deep early. We had the really good relationships, really good conversations early out. Um, People were opening up right away, um, which was a huge benefit just of their sin bends, where they were at, they were struggling in their marriage, um, addictions they may have had. It was just that second week after the initial introduction, they were just diving in. So we kind of, we were going through a small group for the first week or two, and I think it was the second week that we were here, and we were feeling good about it already because we had a place um, that everybody was being open. We didn't really have much to say the first couple weeks, but then um, I ended up, we were just in mid-conversation, and one of the, um, one of our other members of the group, he, he asked me, he says, uh, just to kind of get a picture, he was like, are you saved, or do you know if you're saved? And I, honestly, I said, I have no idea. I don't know what it means to be saved. I don't know where I'm at in my life. And that night, Amanda and I kind of talked some more after group, and we were just trying to figure out what our next step is and where we need to be to be saved, or if we could be saved. And I think a couple days later, that prompted you to the questions. Well, we had, they had asked Trisha. Tr yeah, they asked if you know where our hearts are at. It kind of took me by surprise. I was like. Well, I don't know. I, I think in healthy-wise, my heart's fine, <laughs> you know? But as far as Christ, I didn't really think of it like that. And so on our car ride home, we just, it was like a, well, where are we? You know, we had all these questions. We had a, we wanted to know Christ, and we just didn't know, like, how that prompted us to be We didn't know saved. where to start. We, we didn't. We were like... So then I was like, you know, let's sleep on it. Let's talk about this and let's sleep on it. And, you know, within the next couple of days, I was like, I just have so many questions. Like, how am I supposed to know if I'm saved when I don't have any of these questions answered? You know, how does that? So we met up with Trisha and Cody and um, had dinner with them. I actually got a text from Amanda after group one night. And she was like, hey, Erin and I just have so many questions. Can we, can we just meet up and talk? And I'm like okay, kind of nervous because you don't know what questions are going to come up, but really excited too. So we're like, okay, yeah. So then we met up with them a couple days later at Pepino's. And I told Aaron on our way there that I was like, we should get a list of questions, you know, to write down so we don't forget any. And <laughs> we didn't do that because he's like, that's, don't do that to them. It <laughs> so, wouldn't have mattered. We had, we were getting more questions coming to us than we could ask them. I mean, they would answer a question and we would have three more. I mean, it was yeah. one of the best conversations I think to date still that I've had just with another couple and just figuring out what it meant to be saved and what it meant to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And they kind of took us through Romans Road. Mm -hmm. And it was, I mean, that was the first time I've been able to ask somebody a question and they've been able to say, okay, here's scripture. This is what's going on in your life. And it was just, it was amazing. And we're just going over and they were just bombarding us with like question after question, which was really exciting. And I was like, okay, let's slow down and then let's just go over 
Romans road. And so we'd start like a verse and then they'd interrupt, be like, whoa, 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 we have another question. And we're like, okay, but let's just go through this first and like really walking through with them and just being really excited in that moment, just because we saw God doing great things through them and just the fire they had of like wanting to know more. And we're just so hungry for the word, um, which was really cool. Um, so yeah, then after that dinner or during that dinner towards the end, I asked them and I'm like, do you want to pray tonight and, you know, accept Christ and just give yourself to him? And, um, they're like, not yet. (laughs) I was like, okay. Okay. (laughs) They asked us if we wanted to be saved and we're like, no, not yet. Not yet. We still, we still need to ponder this for a little bit and be sure that this is you know, of course, that's what we wanted. But at the same time, we we're like, it can't be that easy. There's no way in the world that being saved is this easy. So we went back home and a lot of things progressed. And my um, a lot of prayers were being answered all at the same time. It was just a slow moving thing to happen. And um, at work one day I was sitting there and I was like, I want to be saved. You know, this is this is an amazing thing. I can't believe I'm not saved, you know? So I went home and it wasn't the place that I could say the prayer and um, went home and I told Aaron, I was like, I wanna be saved and I wanna say this out loud and, you know, became saved on November 4th that night. And Aaron was like, me too. (laughs) So together we became saved and living for Jesus. And that Thursday, I was on a Tuesday, and that Thursday, I, I, well, I texted Trisha, and um, I told her, and she's, like, super excited for us to see that progression. And Thursday, they asked, you know, is there any celebrations that you guys could say? And they all were looking at me and Aaron, and <laughs> they're like, ah. and I was like, yeah. So <laughs> we became followers of Jesus, and they welcomed us into the family, basically. And it was kind of a cool experience to and feel that warmth and love. The most exciting thing about it, I mean, it was like, I, I could feel it, you know, like my heart had changed just in the last two months of being in small group, but I mean, my heart has changed and it's, it's like that day, I've never seen somebody so excited. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, they, excited. they seemed more excited about us being saved than we were. Yeah, it oh was, yeah, they I mean, were. it was an incredible experience just coming into group and see, like everybody was cheering like we accepted Christ and they were happy for us genuinely happy which that was, that was a good feeling it was a really good feeling to have to have so much support and love from each and every single one of them helping us through this journey I mean they give us scripture and and what to read and what to start with I mean the Bible is a scary thing if you don't know it and so starting and they gave us chapters to read and we've been doing what we needed to do and We're still, we have a lot to learn, but as far as our small group leaders and our family, basically, they've helped us so much. It's been amazing. Mm -hmm. It's a sweet story, isn't it? And uh, can I tell you one of my favorite parts about that whole video? Notice there was no mention of a pastor at any moment in that video. And like that brings so much joy to my heart because it's like, man, there's a small group that that gets it. 
And they had people that came into their group that they didn't know. And they're like, okay, this is the, the, the ministry that God has called us to. And they were kind and they welcomed them and they were loving. They had the courage to be like, do you know who Jesus is? And when they were like, no, we don't. Well, let's talk about it. Let's meet with it. Let's walk this journey with you. And then when, you know, they kind of talked about it and like, no, we're not ready yet. It's like, okay. And they were patient. But then, um, you know, the other thing that I love so much is like, you see how much joy was in that story in the, not just the young couple, but the small group leaders. And it's like, man, you want your life to have joy. You want your life to have meaning. Buy into the reality that all of us have been called to represent God wherever we go. Take that seriously and God promises he's gonna reward that with joy and you're gonna be at the front lines of watching God change lives and there's nothing better than that. That's what God wants for your life. And um, I was thinking uh, yesterday, you know, we're called to be the hope of the world. Like Jesus says that the church is the hope of the world. And what I was thinking is, is listen, let's just think, talk our community for a second. If the hope of the Tri-Cities is just on the shoulders of a few pastors in a few churches, or if the hope of our community is only right now when we gather together or other churches gather together, that hope is pretty limited, right? But when we get this reality that all of us have been called to represent God, that we're all in full-time ministry, then we come here, we build one another up so that we can go out, and now the hope of the world has infiltrated every area of our community. And that's something to be excited about. That's something to give our lives to. Amen. All right, let's pray. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, God, I'm just thankful for um, this morning. I'm thankful for all that you're doing in the hearts of the people here. God, I just sense that you're working in, in a way that's powerful right now. And so, God, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for the challenge. God, I'm just praying right now that even your spirit might be changing hearts and minds and how they view church and how they view ministry. God, I just pray that we would embrace this calling that you would encourage us, that you would be with us, that you would keep your promises to us, that you're near us and you're empowering and you're helping. God, we need you. We, we need this family. We love you. Thank you for all you're doing. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.